0: music teacher had a very perplexed look on his face as he walked up and down amongst the boys who were practicing for their concert he was puzzled and he paused at the end of one row and then he came and tapped me on my shoulder and he said would you mind just sort of opening your mouth but not actually making any noise. <laughs> we come today with our subject, singing to God. Um, I'm not quite sure how it was that I came to uh, be taking that, because singing is is not one of my gifts. And singing it's important, obviously, when we do sing, that, that we sing in tune. That's what worried my music teacher when he heard me, that clearly that was not happening. It's one of the things that one's expected to do, uh, to sing in tune, to use the same words. It's why we have our hymn books or we put words up on things. We want people to be together. Sometimes people will be singing different uh, aspects of the song, but they will have an assigned part which fits together. And so there was an agreed and united purpose in singing. And that's very much what the psalmist had in mind when he was writing here. He was talking about singing to God. And we see that one of the things that starts off is that there was a real sense of joy, he says. They were singing with joy. And that should be the sense in which Praise to God arises, not as a sense of duty. And so it is when uh, Paul was asking about the children about coming to church. Yeah, we perhaps get into the habit of coming, and it's good that that should be the case. But there should also be a sense of joy in coming, to be able to bring praise to God. And the psalmist says that it was to his glory. The focus of their singing and praise was the glory and majesty, the character and nature of God. That's something that's important in terms of the kind of songs that we sing, that we focus upon the glory of God, of who he is. And again, Paul reminded the children when we think of God's creation, of the majesty of his person. But there was also a sense that they came with praise. And praise in in many different ways. They came to praise him for his deeds, the things that God has done. And as we look around and see God in action, praising God for his power, the ability to get things done. It's all very well to talk about doing things, but it's accomplishing them that's important. And God has the power to accomplish his purposes. The deliverance he speaks of, it was the exodus particularly that was in the psalmist's mind as he talked about the people coming through on dry land, through the waters. His rule... Again, it was interesting this morning, asking the children about God. and It was mentioned from the front here, God is king. And this was the theme of their song. They recognized the rule of God and they were subject to him. The preservation. The psalmist talks about how we went through a very difficult time, yet God preserved us and brought us, and indeed brought us into a place of abundance. And so all these things were aspects of what the psalmist saw. And he had this remarkable vision. For he said, I see the whole earth ringing this song. The whole earth, all peoples, united in a song to God. Now, looking at the news these days, seeing what's going on around the world, and listening to the deliberations of the United Nations, one might be forgiven for wondering about this psalmist, whether he was really being realistic, or or what was he really getting at when he talked about all the earth and all people uniting in a song to God, recognizing the rule of God. Was he deluded? Or at best, was it just wishful thinking? Oh, how nice it would be if, if the world was really like this. Or is there something deeper In what he was saying. Is it not that this aspect of the nations recognizing the rule of God, and of the kingdom of God being established, which is in fact at the heart of the message of God. It's at the heart of the message of Scripture. the kingdom revelation in the Bible, the unity of the Bible, the kingdom promised with Abraham, the kingdom foreshadowed in the Old Testament with David and Solomon, the kingdom at hand with Jesus Christ, and the kingdom consummated in the return of Christ. And so it was that God spoke to Abraham, I will make you a great nation, I will bless you, I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. It was the purpose of God to have a people for himself. That was his purpose in creation. And because things departed, Because we departed from the purposes of God, did God give up? No, again, as we've been thinking through the course of this morning, not only did God create, but he redeemed, he restored. And the message of the Bible is is just this, this marvelous message of God working to restore his original purpose, to bring it out. And so he spoke to Abraham. He said, here I'm starting. I will have a people, and in them I want to demonstrate what it means to have God as king. It didn't work exactly well with those people. But did God give up? Not at all. He talked again of the reality of what was going to happen. And so it was indeed that the prophets... Various ones spoke about it. And Isaiah talked about the new heavens and the new earth that was to come. Habakkuk spoke of the earth being filled with the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. That there will be a time when God will have fulfilled his purpose. And so it was in the coming of the Lord Jesus, that he came, it said, and he went about proclaiming the kingdom, the reality that God had broken in and was to establish his rule. And by his life, he demonstrated what it meant to live in the kingdom of God. And so there was this remarkable statement to Mary before she gave birth, the angel Gabriel said, you will be with child and give birth to a son. You are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. There's a remarkable statement in Matthew when the wise men come and they visit it's a little phrase that, that, that intrigues me. He said, the wise men came. They said to Herod, where is he who is born king? of The Jews. Now, I have you ever thought about that. Born king. It's not usual. You might be born a prince, but you're not born king. But Jesus was. He was coming as the king, and it was to be his position. And so it was before Pilate. Pilate says, why why are these folk getting so upset with you? Uh, Why are the lawyers and so on? Uh, He said, are you a king? And Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you are right in saying I am a king. In fact, for this reason, I was born. And for this, I came into the world. And so the psalmist it is not having a delusion. He's having a real anticipation of what lies ahead. But it wasn't just a dream of the future but it had a real impact upon his present life. You see, the present or the future hope that we have had for him present implications. It it didn't mean it was just something he was dreaming about and that was the end of it. And so he saw in this, he talked about a relationship to God. And so he says, now having seen all this, He said, I come into the temple and bring my sacrifice and fulfill my vows. He recognized his own relationship with God, something that we've been thinking about over this last week. Two weeks ago, it was that we talked in that Psalm 63 about longing for God, what it meant to have a relationship with God, and have God at the center of one's life. but The psalmist goes on there, and he says, but not only did I come and did I bring sacrifice, but I prayed to God. And last week we thought about that aspect too, of the priority of prayer. And so the psalmist was conscious that thinking about what God was doing, the purposes that God had, in bringing about his kingdom, where all the earth and all peoples would be there to worship and accept the rule of God. That he saw that for his present situation, that meant that he needed to have a relationship with God. He needed to be in communication with God, to understand and recognize the place that he had in bringing that kingdom about. Coming to worship with sacrifice and coming to prayer. And so for the psalmist and for the scriptures and for the message of the Lord Jesus and his kingdom, he talks about this glorious future, of establishing the kingdom. And what this means for us in the present time. At the conclusion of setting out his manifesto for the kingdom in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this to his followers. God will give you all you need from day to day if you live for him, and make the kingdom of God your primary concern and so looking to the future kingdom has implications for the present to be involved in demonstrating the kingdom again as we thought about Isabulo, demonstrating what the kingdom of God is about love care healing justice All these things, these are to be the marks of the kingdom. They will be, but they are to be seen now in the demonstration of the reality of what it means to know God as king in this present time. And just as we close and as we come now to our time of communion, it fits in so well because just a little while ago we had a baptismal service. And baptism, which is one of the sacraments of the church, is confirming that relationship which we have. It pictures the dying with Christ and the resurrection to new life. And in communion, it's so important because it is what God has given us as part of maintaining that relationship it's hard to live for the kingdom of God at the present time it's not accepted there is not this united sense of having God as ruler in fact we see on every hand rejection of that if, if easy to be simplistic about the problems in our country and one doesn't want to be over-simplistic, but one of the realities surely is that we are reaping what we have sown in that we have rejected God as a nation. We see the results of that. Many different aspects of national life. And what God is seeking to do is to demonstrate what the kingdom really is like. How are we going to do that? How are we going to be sustained in that? Well, says Jesus, come and remember me. Maintain that relationship so that you are able to live in the present in anticipation of the future. To have that wonderful vision of what God is bringing about and his purpose. But to see that being worked out in daily life. And it's on the foundation of Jesus himself. It's on his life, as he demonstrated what it meant, how it worked, to be under the rule of God. By his death, in which he wrought a great victory, and so he said, as he took the cup, He gave thanks and offered it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. And so in this communion feast we have both this personal relationship, this forgiveness of sins, but also expanded into here, God achieved through Christ this great victory over evil and over death, which secures the future. And so as we come to take bread and wine, we recall what it cost Christ in order that the purposes of God could be fulfilled. Bringing us into a new relationship gives us hope for participation in the future kingdom, which this death that we remember now assures us will certainly come to pass.